Uh, you may be aware that this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which initiates the 40 days prior to Easter known as Lent. Uh, Lent has been going on. This is, Lent was practiced before Advent. It was practiced before Christmas. Uh, this, goes, this practice goes back all the way almost to the very earliest days of the Christian church. It originated sort of in a couple of different iterations. Where it initially started was the, the um, first few centuries of Christianity were ones where it was not cool to be a Christian. In fact, there was persecution. There was, you could be jailed, uh, you could be killed for your faith. And so there was a much longer process by which someone would come into full membership in the church. It could be a process of up to three years where you were being vetted and you were being, you were making sure that this person wasn't sort of a spy who was trying to weasel their way in to expose this community and have them jailed or worse. And the 40 days, I'm sorry, the, the 40 hours between Good Friday and Easter Sunday would be this period of fasting that would culminate in they would do like one baptism Sunday a year. And that baptism Sunday would be on Easter because what's being described is the resurrection life that is now possible in Christ. And so that idea would be fasted and to fuel our celebration of the baptism on that day. That was the very beginnings of Lent. What then happened in the mid-400s when Rome, the Roman Empire fell, at that point, uh, the, the church at the time decided that it was not good enough to only do 40 hours of fasting, but let's extend that to 40 days. And the reason we would extend that to 40 days is because we see God must be angry at us. There must be something wrong with what we're currently doing, and so we, we got to fast so we can get back into God's favor. This is when the practice of Lent starts to wane and starts to take more of a darker turn where for the next thousand years, there is much more penitential, lowly, sad, sorrowful look at yourself. A very self-reflective, dark time. And many of us, when we think about the practice of Lent, that may be sort of where your imagination still lands. Um, and that's still where some churches celebrate out of that kind of a uh, out of that kind of a heritage. But Martin Luther in the mid-1500s jumps back onto the scene and reminds the church, speaks particularly about Lent and says, that's not the point. The point is not to beat yourself up so that you can get into God's favor. It's that Christ was beat up so that you could be in God's favor. And to rejoice more and more in that and less and less on you having to feel like you've got to earn your way into his good graces. No, instead... We can receive God's favor in Christ and then out of that, give our all to him. It completely flips the paradigm as we think about this walk of faith. So the series that we've been in for the past few weeks is a series in Matthew. And if I could encapsulate what the entire book of Matthew is about, it's bookended by conversations about discipleship, about following Jesus. And so on the back end, what is the last thing you hear Jesus say? 
go make disciples. The reason you and I are in this room today is because the, the early church did the work of making disciples who made disciples who made disciples, and all the way through the generations now, we have inherited the faith that goes all the way back to those early days. And so it continues. Even what we just did here today, that is continuing work that the Lord is continuing to do through his church. So um, in order to follow Jesus, you have to leave something behind. So as we are on this journey following Jesus through the book of Matthew, there may be some things that get challenged. Because in the same way that he addresses Peter, uh, in the same way that he addresses Matthew, there's more and more times, even a little bit of what's happening today in his baptism, there is this call to leave the comforts of yourself, leave the parts of you that you may even hold the most dear, and trust Jesus and follow him and trust that abundant life is actually going to be in him and not in your own doing. So we're jumping into Matthew 3. It's been 30 years. Happened quick. I know it happened in a week. But it's been 30 years since Dave preached on Matthew 2 last week. Jesus has grown up during this time. Matthew 2, he's a baby. All of a sudden here, he's 30 years old. And things have been uh, mostly normal. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. They've been mostly normal up until this moment. But it's about to get real. So this is Matthew 3 uh, and a selection of verses in there. And Catherine Singleton is going to read it for us. Way to go, Catherine. Way to go. There you go. Yeah, you're doing great. In those days, wow, excuse me, wow. Didn't, didn't know how that was going to come out, but that was a lot more uh, croaky than I thought. Okay, we'll start again. <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, the, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have pre prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Catherine Singleton, everybody. Way to go. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we pray that your word would do its work. Uh, we pray that your spirit would fall uh, and that your people would rejoice. Father, we pray for uh, all those who are sick. Uh, even Catherine, just that reminder uh, of there are so many uh, among us in our church family and those that we know that are experiencing illness of, um, of all kinds of, of different uh, stripes today. So we pray 
that you would care and comfort those who are at home in bed right now, uh, that you would bring them back to full health quickly, uh, and that you would uh, continue to keep uh, this group here uh, healthy and, uh, and safe in the coming days. So we, uh, we trust this time with you and pray that you would work in it. We pray in Christ. Amen. Um, so there's a word for leaving everything and following Jesus. And that word is what we find here as what John is screaming and announcing at the top of his lungs, repent. The word repent in the original language means a a complete life alteration because of your mind and your heart changing. A complete shift of every direction of your natural inclinations beginning to move in the Godward direction. Being more and more convinced that Jesus' way is actually the best way and living into that. And so Jesus calls us to leave our way of thinking this morning about one thing in particular. And every week there may be a new thing that he may be challenging us with, but here it is for today. As he begins his ministry, uh, Jesus challenges us, one, to stop trying to earn God's favor. What is being announced in here is there is a way to know this morning that you are favored and enjoyed and lavishly loved by God. But it's not the way you might think. Stop trying to earn God's favor. Secondly, he calls us to start living in God's favor now. How do we do that? That's what we're going to try to spend the next 20 minutes or so working on. Young me, I learned at an early age that it was uh, a really easy way to get the dopamine hit that I loved, the applause that I so loved by being a good performer. And so I knew that if I got straight A's, if I was a good boy in school, uh, I was a camp kid, so if I got, I got all the accolades and all the awards, best camper, best counselor, best program director, all of those things, I was just heaping on favor upon favor upon favor on myself. I loved it. It filled me up. It ballooned my ego. And then I got into ministry. And you would think that, you know, all of my best intentions would sort of override all of my really poor ones. But it turns out that that's not the case because standing up in front of you today, helping people, speaking in front of lots of people, being the fun guy, all of those things just still fill me up. And if I'm not careful this morning, I will use you so that I will feel better about myself. Not really a joke, but it's funny too because that's how ridiculous this thing is that's inside of my heart and inside of all of us is this longing. Will you see me? Will you love me? Will you applaud for me? Please. What about you? Whose favor are you trying to earn today? In what ways is that distorting the way that you think about yourself or the other person? What lengths this morning are you going to to do that? And if that's the way that I think about my relationships here, then for sure I'm going to translate that to my relationship with God. So for a long time, you may have heard me say this before, for a long time I thought I'm really pretty good and so God's really lucky to have me. Until I realized that I wasn't so good and so God maybe is not so lucky to have me. 
But what that did is it kept me on this treadmill of do good to be good, do good to be good, do good to get good, to be good. And all of those places are still naturally running in my mind. I, my heart naturally every morning will jump right back on that treadmill and believe all of those same things. And as long as I'm doing good, then I'm feeling good. But when I'm not doing good, when failure comes, when loss comes, when sin finds its way into my heart, falling out of me in ways that I'm like, oh, no, I didn't mean to do that, then I start to spiral. I start to rehash all of the bad things I've ever done in my life. And I feel shame about those things. And I feel worry about those things. And I wonder about if those things will ever catch up to me. And I can carry that into the way that I do my job as a pastor. I can take that into the way that I do my job as a dad. I can take that into the way that I do my job as a husband. This is the natural inclination of the human heart. And what Jesus is doing as he calls this out in the Pharisees is he's calling it out in us. And he uses a really sharp term for it. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The, the Jewish religious leaders and the prophets had always been at odds with one another. If you look at the Old Testament, anytime a prophet would come up, normally the person that they were pointing the finger at was the religious establishment. And they were calling to faithfulness in God, not to the establishment. Faithfulness in a holy life, not in one that just looked holy. And so here they come, and there's baptisms happening. There's sort of a movement. There's some sort of revival. There's a buzz that's happening, and it's drawing all these people out into the desert as John is starting to baptize people. And then he sees these old boys coming, and he says, y'all be careful. He can tell in his knowledge of who they are that they're not coming with good intentions. They're not coming with open hands and needy hearts. They're coming with 39 rules on how to keep the Sabbath. Uh, they're coming with ways to clean and wash your hands before meals so that you can remain ritually clean. They're coming with all kinds of preconceptions about what it is to be a godly person. It's in the way that you speak. It's in the way that you dress. It's in the way that you compose yourself. And many people believe that that's what the church does today, and they're right oftentimes. We can posture and pose and put on sort of a squeaky clean face as good as those Pharisees did way back when. And we can throw rocks at them, while we're doing the exact same thing. And we can turn church into, it's based on how much you give. It's based on how fervent you are in your worship. It's about how many tears you cry. It's about how clean your life is. These are the things that make me acceptable. These are the things that make me close to God. Is that true? Not according to Jesus. Jesus says, that's venomous. but it's also sneaky. 
you brood of vipers. This is something that can, the natural inclinations of the human heart can just slide their way into your life. And before you realize it, you are living your life on that treadmill. You are living your life that based on, uh, my relationship with God is based on what I do or don't do. And how squeaky clean I keep my life or how squeaky, how squeaky clean my life is not. He must be pleased with me when it's clean and displeased with me when it's not. And then we take that with our relationship with God and we turn that into our relationships with other people. If I'm just a good enough parent, my kids will turn out right. If I'm just a good enough employee, I will get that promotion. If I'm just a good enough spouse, my marriage will thrive. If I'm just a good enough friend, then I won't be rejected. We do this in all kinds of relationships, in all kinds of ways. If I'm just a good Christian, my life will go well. How'd that go for Jesus? Was he the, the most holy, righteous one? How did his life go? Maybe that's not the litmus test for if God's pleased with us or not. So between now and Easter, we are also going to structure our services a little bit differently. Uh, and we're going to have a little bit more time to meditate both corporately and individually. Uh, so I'll, I'll say one more time, if this is a time as we pause for a minute, we're going to sing a couple songs. If you would like to be prayed over uh, or speak to someone, uh, then you can head to the back in the prayer corner. This is just a time for us collectively to do some business with the Lord. Uh, this is not just an act that we're all doing right now. The, the goal is for all of us to meet with Jesus today. And as we walk into church every day, this can very quickly become something that it's not. But would we meet with Jesus? I'm going to read the message version, uh, which is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of, uh, of the entire Bible. And this is how he would call us to examine ourselves today. This is Galatians 3 in the message. You crazy Galatians. Did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Christ in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clear enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God, or was it by responding to God's message for you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete their own effort what God began. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourself, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust in him to do them in you? So we are going to read a confession together. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, and then after that, after we have um, confessed, after we've said something that's true about us to our God, after we've done that corporately, I'm going to give you a minute of silence to do that individually.
and then we'll sing. You're welcome to sing with us. Um, if you want to sort of continue a repenting space in worship, you don't have to sing. You can be in the prayer corner. Just know that that space is available. So um, let's read this together. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but see you in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter your stars shine. Let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, your glory in my valley. And take this moment of silence. Amen. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. My soul finds rest, God is my home, I will not be shaken, I will not be shaken, my soul finds rest in God alone, my salvation comes from my soul finds rest. God is my home. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Come tear down the walls of built up every wall of built up every wall of built up cause you deserve every piece of my heart 
every piece of my heart, every piece of my heart. Come and tear down the walls of built up, every wall of built up, every wall of built up. Cause you deserve every piece of my heart, every piece of my heart, every piece of my heart. Trusting that you are a faithful father, that all that you have is good. You're a generous giver, your love's like no other. Won't you come and break through to me over and over and over again? I'm bringing my heart to you with open hands, closer and closer. Drawing me in as the depths of my heart lay before you again, sing over, over and over and over again. I'm bringing my heart to you with open hands, closer and closer. You're drawing me in as the depths of my heart lay before you. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourself, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you?
that cuts to the heart, the core of what it is to believe the gospel. Because the picture of baptism is a picture of need. It's what we just experienced in the Cason's baptism here. So verse 13, Jesus, who is John's cousin, who he would have been very familiar with, all of a sudden walks into the picture and he says, can I be baptized? And John immediately starts thinking, he's like, I saw this guy grow up. I watched him honor his parents. I, I watched him befriend the kid who sat alone at the lunch table. Uh, I saw him never cut corners as a carpenter, except for the corners he was supposed to cut. Uh, uh, I, I saw him burn bullies with his wit and his wisdom. I've watched this kid grow up. If anything, he needs to be baptizing me. I'm the unclean one, not him. Ritual cleansings, like baptism, were common in the, the Roman world at that time. Uh, and that's both from a Jewish strain and from a Hellenistic Greek strain and all others as well. The idea, like largely, was just that you were unclean and whatever God you were trying to worship, you had to clean yourself up in order to be presentable to that God. That was the image in all of these various ritual washings. And so John is looking at Jesus going, you're not the unclean one here. I am. And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. John had no idea the total effect of what was happening on, on him and to him and through him right now. But it was to say this, the strenuous moral effort that you so long to stand before God and say, look at all the good things that I've done. And yet when we survey our lives, we see this mixture that is within them. And so this is not Jesus saying, no, 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 there's actually no strenuous moral effort to do. Everything is washed clean, we're good, you and me are buds, high five, move on. No, no, God is a holy God. And it is true that only the purest, holiest things can be near to him. The question is, how are we made holy? How can we be right enough to stand before the holiness of God. Uh, this is an old Christian camp reference. Raise your hand, Christian camps, growing up, yeah, YMCA, sweet, others. Uh, who remembers? Yeah? Pharaoh, Pharaoh? Oh, baby, let my people go. Huh, yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. Okay. I had no idea what kind of connection that had to do with anything else. I just thought, well, that's a really neat story that happened a long time ago. That sounds pretty wacky. Maybe it happened. I don't really know. But uh, these dance moves are fun. But Jesus' baptism and this baptism that we just saw and every one of our baptisms is a reenactment of that Pharaoh Pharaoh moment. It is a reenactment of the Red Sea. Jesus 
is the true and better Moses. He is the one who leads his people through the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides. Water throughout scripture and in the ancient times was an image of chaos and judgment. And Jesus pushes the chaos and judgment to both sides and walks through this life perfectly without sin. And then on the cross, crashes them back behind him and sin and death and hell are washed away for those who will follow him and trust him all the days of their life. The image of Moses leading his people through the waters of judgment to God's favored promised land is what is happening in Jesus's baptism. And the invitation is that that would also be our baptism that on the other side of the Red Sea, there was celebration and joy and song because God did something. God saved me in a way that I couldn't save myself. The horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. Praise God. And in the same way, we are meant to look at our lives and say, there is absolutely no way that I can stand before this holy God only on my own merits. There must be someone else to stand in my place. Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following you through the storm. I'm following you through the sea. I'm following you because it is your righteousness. Jesus is baptized to identify with us that our need becomes his need. He becomes a man so that only as a man can he fully fulfill the law. Can he fully be righteous? And can we fully be righteous in him? And so we begin to leave all of the things that used to define us. We leave the old life of it is only up to my efforts to make my life go a certain way. It is only up to my efforts to make God think of me a certain way or even do certain things in my life. We're no longer stuck in the calculus of that my life is only the sum of my best achievements or maybe the sum of my failures. And instead, our failures can have a different hue to them. Uh, Your failures as a parent don't solely determine the outcome of your children. Your failures as a spouse can be the seedbed of new love and resurrection to come out of those things. Your failures to eat perfectly and exercise every day and brush and floss and have a quiet time don't DQ you from God's blessing. It only reinforces all of the reason that you need to cry out to Jesus every day, help! And as you receive his love, then that begins to change how you love somebody else. And when failure and loss and death and grief and brokenness come, you can say with that Puritan prayer that we just read from the Valley of Vision that to have nothing is to have everything. Because I can have nothing And I can have Jesus, and that can be enough. It's a complete 180 in all of the ways that we naturally think and believe. And that's the invitation of Jesus through Lent. That's the invitation of Jesus uh, in this very moment. So I would invite you to do a couple of things as we close here. The first is there's a weekly devotional for Lent. Uh, that we've created. You can get this in paper copy at the, the Midtown Life table there in the back on your way out. 
It's also going to be emailed and texted digitally week by week over the next six weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, the thing that I would encourage you to focus on this week is in the introduction to this, there's uh, a little snippet on fasting. And again, this is one of those things that we can get real wrong, that I'm fasting to sort of deprive myself so that in some way God will be pleased with my deprivation and bring me into his good graces. No, no, no. Hopefully we've said enough about what Jesus says about pleasing God, that it is fully in Christ alone that God is pleased with us. And because of that, we can now give our all to him. So the question really with fasting is, what are the things that are numbing me from God's grace? What are the things that are actually blocking me from experiencing the fullness of life that he wants to give me? Could I put one of those things down for this period of 40 days and ask, God, would you, as I put that thing down, would you be feeding and fueling me on your grace in a new way? So here's mine. Uh, I'm fasting from social media. It has to have a why. Here's my why. Every time I have a dead spot in my day, I don't have my phone with me. I do this. Every time I'm bored, I do this. Every time I'd rather check out of wherever I am, I do this. What if I put that down for a little while and it's been, what, four days, five days so far? I'm already experiencing lots of internal ick because of it. Uh, but what could God do as I put that thing down? What might he have for me? What might he want to say to me about me? that I'm blocking because I'm too busy not being present with him and other people. Whatever that is for you, I would encourage you, again, you can look at this resource, think about your why, uh, and if you would be led by the Lord to engage in sort of a corporate fast together. Uh, this is what I know about this group. There is a consistent hunger that when I talk to you individually comes out. I want more of God. I want to grow. This, this is a season in the life of Midtown Creve Hall that I think we can, in a new way, step into the fullness of God's abundance for us. So this would be one way that we can do that. I would encourage you to look towards that. Let me pray. So, Father, we pray that you would do in us what we can't do, which is help us to believe. Everything inside of us believes that venomous lie that we are what we do. And I pray that by your Spirit's power, that the, sh the shackles of that reality would be broken. And in its place would come a freedom and a joyfulness and a playfulness that only comes knowing that our Father says, This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Because he said that over Jesus, he says that over us who follow after him. And so we pray uh, that you would, again, as we walk out these doors, Help us to follow you and, <laughs> and catch us in all the places and all the times where we're not. Thank you that you don't count those against us either, but you continue to spur us along by your Holy Spirit's power. Do that as we sing together. We pray in Christ. Amen.